Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Peter Oborn on a beautiful sunny day in Wiltshire. Hello, it's Richard Heller. It's a beautiful sunny day here in south-east London. For once, I'm going to give the time and the date. It's 12 noon here on um, Sunday, the 27th of February. Uh, Giving the date because we have a remarkable guest today in a remarkable location. We're talking to Kobus Olivier, who is the chief executive officer of the Ukraine Cricket Federation, and he's talking to us from Kiev, which is now under attack from the Russian assault. Kobus, thank you for joining us. Richard, Peter, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an absolute privilege. I'm going to pick up a cue from you and give a bit of a weather report here. I think today it's definitely a day if we win the toss, we'll be batting first. It's a bit of an overcast day. Uh, in Kiev, one of the better, warmest days we've had since, you know, we had a very long winter, actually quite a pleasant day, but sunny. Uh, so lovely day for batting today. Well, I don't suppose there'll be much batting today, Kobus. Um, can you tell us what's happening in Kiev now, or at least what's happening in your own neighbourhood? Yeah, I tell you about, probably about 15 minutes ago, I, had, I heard a huge blow. I'm in one of the residential areas. I'm about... Uh, six metro stops uh, away from the city centre, Kreshatik Road. It's a straight highway right next to my apartment going straight into city centre on the car about 30 minutes if there's no traffic. And I just had a huge explosion next, right next to my building. There's been a lot of explosions in the distance. I've been all morning, I've heard explosions in various parts of Kiev. So I heard this one right next to my building. So they told us not to go to the window. I came inside. That was literally five minutes ago. And uh, I watched on CNN and they said it's the Russian saboteurs that's now, they all over Kiev in the suburban areas, they dress like civilians, they've been infiltrating Kiev over the past months and they now here and there's apparently ongoing battles between the Ukrainian soldiers and the saboteurs in various suburbs in the street of Kiev. So that's quite a scary. Yet last night I had, I've got a video of it. Uh, there was rapid machine gun fire under my balcony in my street um, for about five minutes, 10 minutes nonstop. So that's not Russian soldiers coming in. That's the Russian saboteurs that's been here for the past couple of months now, you know, doing their thing here in the streets in Kiev. Good Lord. That must be terrifying because you don't know when that's going to happen. It's not a formal assault. It, it, it's something that could happen any time, isn't it? Yeah, I'm afraid that's the reality in Kiev at the moment. It started, Jeez, I've lost track of time. I haven't slept. Um, I think on Friday morning, Thursday morning, that when it started, I was out with my dogs at four o'clock in the morning walking. I, I've got four dogs. I like to walk early, four or five o'clock in the morning. I take them for a walk and I just heard these probably about 18, 19 huge explosions. That was the start of the war. So I understood what was happening. I came up to my, I'm on the seventh floor. I came up to my apartment immediately, locked myself in and I haven't been out at all. There's a full curfew in Kiev. You're not allowed to stick your nose outside day or night. If you go outside, you get shot because of what's happening now with these saboteurs and civilian close machine guns. So they don't know who's the enemy and who's a civilian. And most of the civilians here now is running around with machine guns. The government has been handing out machine guns. They park trucks in the suburb 
suburban areas, people can come and collect a gun. So you don't know who's the, who's the enemy and they, you know, they all speak Russian. They're all in civilian clothes running with machine guns. So they've got this curfew. But uh, now what happens is these saboteurs are now, they look, they blend in with the, with the, with the civilians here and they're going down into the metro subways. Uh, they go in with them uh, and they, in the bomb shelters. And then last night, a South African friend of mine had a horrible story. He said they were all sitting about 200 people down there in the subway. They packed like sardines. And he said about seven of these guys opened fire on the two guards, shot them at point blank and then went outside. But they were amongst them. And apparently our Indian cricket students, most of our cricketers, uh, there's 15,000 Indian students here. They all play cricket. That's basically our senior cricket uh, where they run the tournaments, they compete. We've got four to 500 Indian students. They most, a lot of them are based in Kharkiv. It's our cricket hub. The one cricketer phoned me last night. He said they were down in the subway there and the same, they didn't kill anyone, but these guys started firing off uh, in the subway to create panic and cause panic under the civilians there. So at the moment, it's probably safest just to be in your apartment and not even go down into the into the shelters because you you've got these guys amongst you. So the street, according to reports this morning, there's street fighting in Kharkiv now, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, uh, but that's the proper Ukrainian. Uh, the, the, it's a Russian military. They've gone in there with their tanks and soldiers. So that's the Russian soldiers. These guys in Kiev at the moment, it's Russian saboteurs. They've been infiltrating the country for the past couple of months. So they hear yeah, it's not Russian military soldiers, as far as I understand. It's it's people in civilian clothes, but probably uh, highly skilled uh, trained soldiers that's came that's yeah. been coming in over the past couple of months. So they yeah, in, they they live in Kiev. They they've got a part. They set up here. So they now caught causing this these fights in Kiev, but Kharkiv it's different. That's the military moving in. And have you got? Well, you must have uh, electricity still in your apartment. Yes, yes, we've got everything. Uh, we've got electricity, water, everything. TV. I'm watching all the channels. I'm on my laptop. I'm constantly on my mobile phone with friends in South Africa, various cricket friends. Yes. And with your cricket students in Kiev, yeah? Very much so, yes, because most of them are out in Kharkiv. That's about seven hours from here. Our president uh, of the Cricket Federation, Mr. Deep Singh, he's over there as well. So I'm communing all the time, check, you know, if they're okay. Uh, most of them were quite lucky. Uh, we've got 15,000 students, mostly studying medicine, uh, Indian, Asian students here. And apparently, from what I can gather from Mr. Deep Singh and our other one of our cricketers, is that about there's probably about 8,000 left. Uh, 7,000 managed to get away before this started. The Indian embassy has been absolutely appealing to them for the past couple of weeks before to the build up to this to get it's not safe, go home, return back after. Let's first see what happens. But uh, on Friday morning, when it started, apparently, two Indian uh, planes were coming in to, to pick them up, to evacuate them. Mr. Deep Singh arranged that in cooperation with the uh, Indian embassy here. And then, at, you know, they were going to land at about 10 o'clock. The Indian students were all ready to get on the planes. And then the bombing started there as well. So that was cancelled. So these students are stuck. And in Kharkiv alone, there's 2,000 of these students stuck in their hostel 
Medical University Hostel. So they're the ones that every night, and when it's been right throughout the day, the sirens go on off, it goes off, they quickly go out, buy some food, try to get something from the apartments, sirens go off again. And then, you know, uh, Kharkiv has been very hard hit. It's been bombed almost nonstop fighting there. Then they go back in the shelters and then most of them have spent uh, a day and a night there without going out at all. Then they had a short break, it went quiet. They've been stuck in there for three days, sitting in the subway and they're running out of food. Some of them are being to run out of water. So it's a real very, very, and now the soldiers are in the streets. So we don't, as long as that goes on, they can't go out and they terrified, you know, these Russian soldiers could come down into the shelters anytime they stuck there, like, you know, they've got nowhere to go. So these poor guys are going through hell at the moment. You must have considered uh, leaving, Kiev. Why, uh, why did you choose to stay on? Peter, it's two twofold. Uh, I, I've never, I had lots of opportunities, um, even friends in Dubai. I've got a lot of cricket friends there. South Africa, they even offered, they said, we'll pay you a ticket. Two weeks ago, they all said, we'll buy you a return ticket. Come go anywhere you want and uh, spend a week or two. Let's just see what happens. But I've got two reasons that it was never an option for me. And I'll be very honest. Firstly, it's my dogs. I've got four dogs. I live here in Kiev with my four dogs. Uh, it's, I, can't, I couldn't get them out at all, even if I wanted to. They need that tighter test. It takes three months to do the test. Otherwise, they can't, won't be allowed to leave the country. So, And at, in Poland, they, even if I went to Poland on the border, they would let me through, but never my four dogs. They, they, at that time, apparently now they're starting to let animals through without papers. I don't know, but uh, they, I, I couldn't leave them, so I stayed. That was never an option. And then also the cricket program. You know, I've, I've, it's become more than a passion. It's become an obsession with me, this cricket program in Ukraine. It's, it's something... Now I've been in cricket all my life. I've, I've as a player, as an administrator, as a as a coach. Uh, this is something I'm, I'm. You know, wherever else you go, you get replaced. You go. I was director of cricket at UCT 14 years. So UCT, what is UCT? Uh, sorry, it's University of Cape Town. Um, yeah. We actually, that that was the best cricket times of my life. I, Graham Smith came through our ranks. He came, I met him there as a young student coming to the nest for the first time, Graham Smith, uh, at the University of Cape Town. Mm -hmm. I had uh, Ryan Tinduskata, captained us for five years. Brian Murphy, the Zimbabwe ex-test player, leg spinner, he captained for four, four seasons. He was captain. Faji uh, Farhan Behardin played uh, for South Africa ODI cricket. Charles Langerfeld, the bowling coach, played for South Africa ODI so cricket. So some of the great players. Yeah, Graham of, Smith, uh, one of the most yes. momentous players in the history of South African cricket. Yeah, and, and actually very interesting, uh, uh, Compton. Um, but this is your little opener, the Nick Nick, Nick Compton. Nick Compton yeah. yeah, he 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 spent a season with us at UCT. He played for us at UCT, opened the batting for us, scored quite a lot of runs. We never thought he's going to play for England that soon, but yes, he played for us for a season. Uh, so yes, a fantastic uh, history of cricket. And then when I was director of cricket there. Uh, I appointed Gary Kirsten as our coach. Um, we had Gary Kirsten. We had Emerson Trotman, the coach Barbados. Uh, we had Brian McMillan was our coach for a season. So we had some great names. Eric Simons, um, uh, Alan Dawson, that... Uh, uh, Commons, they all went through stages as coaches and assistant coaches, all international players of note. Gary, actually, if you have time, you can. Uh, I can quickly tell you the story of Gary Kirsten. It's actually a lovely story. Uh, our coach at the time was Hilton Ackerman, very, very unbelievable good coach. Um, he was 
selected to play in that deported tour that South Africa selected the team to go to tour in England. He was selected, and then because of apartheid, they cancelled the tour. That was at the time of the Basel Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, he played quite a few. Uh, he played a series for the World Eleven later uh, against England, if memory serves me right. Um, He's got a lovely story at the airport in sorry in Australia. He was met by Sir Donald Bradman uh, and him and I think Mike Proctor play or Eddie Barlow, the two of them. And Don Bradman met them in Australia at the airport, and Hilton didn't have a clue who he was, and he passed him his, his suitcase and his some of his bags. Oh, sorry, mate, if you could help me, just carry these bags to the taxi. And only then he introduced himself. Hilton told me the story himself. And then he said, well, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Donald Bradman. And Hilton said, well, you know, I've, I've used, asked Donald used Donald Bradman. Use Donald Bradman as your bag, man. Yes. Carrying my bags. So anyway, Hilton was quite sick at that time and he, he passed away and there was still three months of the season to go. So I found Gary. We played a lot of cricket together. We opened the batting at club level together. Uh, I'm very good mates with Gary and 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 Peter as well. I, when I played in Derbyshire club cricket, I actually stayed with Peter and John Wright. I shared an apartment with them for a bit, and Peter organised for me to be 12th man for Derbyshire against Northamptonshire. And I dropped Larkins and I dropped uh, uh, Jeff Cook. I dropped them both as as fielder, <laughs> and they both scored hundreds. And Northamptonshire, <laughs> they won the game. It must have been popular. <laughs> Good choices of batsmen to drop, <laughs> yes, I have to say. They've both got hundreds. Kobuses, as you say, you've had a very varied background. I know it also took in Kenya and Dubai. But what um, what brought you to Ukraine? And when was that? When did you come to Ukraine first? Yeah, uh, it's four years ago. Uh, I was in Dubai yeah, at my cricket academy there with Ashwin, the Indian spinner. We had a cricket academy together. Uh, I came on holiday and I fell in love with Kiev. It's just the most amazing city. And it was snowing. I've, I've never seen snow in my life. And I was walking in knee-deep snow during Christmas in Kiev. I fell in love with Kiev and I came back five times on holiday that one year. And then I decided, well, why not? Um, take a break from cricket. I've done cricket all my life. So I took a leap of faith and I came to Kiev. I thought, well, I gave all my cricket shirts or everything away in Dubai. And I said, new life. I'm going to, that's the end, for, you know, end of my cricket now. I'm going to do something different. So I started to set up, I was looking to do some importing of, of South African wines here. And also I started teaching in one of the big uh, schools here as international schools as an English language, native language teacher. And then uh, the next thing, Mr. Shambhatia, that was my friend in Dubai, he owns, uh, he's got the Cricket for Care charity organization. He's was at the museum. So he said, Kubis, why don't you start playing cricket with the kids during your English lesson? Oh, yeah, Mr. Bhatia, great idea. So he sent me six Care for Cricket sets of mini cricket, the quick cricket, uh, plastic equipment. So I started playing cricket with the kids during my PE lessons and, and English lessons. Um, and uh, the kids love it. And it just snowballed. Um, I started doing the cricket. Then uh, I, I started getting a, a request to do summer, winter, autumn, spring camps for kids to do cricket as a sport there as well. Then the, uh, I met 
Vitaly uh, Klitschko, the, the mayor of Kiev, told him about the man, yeah. program. Yes, and he then said he's the mayor and he introduced me to the Ukrainian Department of Youth and Sport. So I worked together with him on weekends. We do sport programs in the parks, like Regent Park, Green Park. We've got beautiful parks here. So we move around, around the parks and weekends. They do sport programs, soccer, uh, every sport you can think of, dancing, gymnastics. And I'm now part of that program with cricket, introducing cricket to the local kids. I've now so probably... this, is, this is introducing it to the local Ukraine. Absolutely yeah. local. Yeah. It's Ukrainian kids, Ukrainian schools, Ukrainian kids. Uh, and then about a year and a half after that, they had an article on me uh, in Forbes magazine about my cricket program for Ukrainian kids, also in the local newspaper. And then I thought I'm the only one doing cricket in Ukraine. And I got a call from Hadip Singh and he said, Kubis, listen, we started cricket here in 2001 already. We've got the Ukrainian Cricket Federation. We play our senior leagues. That's obviously a, a 19... 8% Asian players, these students. And he asked to meet me with a board for dinner. They then asked me to become a member of the board. They followed the procedures. I then became the CEO of a Ukrainian cricket a year and a half ago. And then they've been trying to become a member, associate member of the ICC for the past eight years. But because they don't have any local cricketers playing junior cricket development, grassroots cricket, uh, it was impossible. They don't have any coaches, so they only have the senior cricket structure. And then when we put the two of us together, I bring the junior cricket with the only Ukrainian kids playing cricket in Ukrainian schools, uh, and they've got the senior cricket. So you put the two together, we actually tick all the boxes to become an associate member. So we got in touch with Andy Wright again at the uh, ICC Europe office based in London at Lords. Uh, Andy's been guiding us through this process. Him and his office has been unbelievable. They took us through the whole process, helping us to meet the criteria, helping us to set some programs in place, the documentation. So I've been on Zoom meetings with Andy probably weekly and hundreds of text messages. I'm leading the process for the Ukrainian Cricket Federation. I, you know, I've got the experience really on the administration side through Kenya, and also I was development officer and youth coach in Holland for two years for the Dutch Cricket Board. So we've now submitted our application to um, in December for Ukraine to become an associate member, and in July it's been approved by the Europe office, uh, by Andy and them. They've, they've sent it through to the ICC in Dubai. And in July, when the membership committee meets, we'll get an answer. Uh, we can't preempt it, but we're very, very confident that Ukraine will then become an associate member of the ICC. Is Russia affiliated to the uh, ICC? That, that's actually incredibly, uh, the timing for this question couldn't be better. Russia, if my memory serves me right, you can look it up, but I think they've been an associate member for about 14 years now. And at the last membership committee meeting, which I think was last year, it's every two years, um, they got suspended because uh, they're not meeting some of the criteria anymore. Some of their programs aren't sufficient. To, it doesn't uh, qualify them anymore. So they were suspended and they were giving this two-year period to rectify it. And all indications, I don't know, but there's a very good, strong possibility that Russia could lose their membership in July at the very same meeting where Ukraine <laughs> becomes a member. That's quite ironic with the present situation. Did... Um... Kovas, you coached, I think, two thousand children. Do they include Russian speakers as well as you know, as well as Ukrainian? 
children of Russian-speaking families whom Putin claims to represent. Something very interesting in Ukraine on the ground, the kids, 95% of the children, parents speak Russian at home. They speak Russian is their language at home. Uh, they all speak Russian. They, um, in schools now, all the teaching, the textbooks and teaching by teachers in the classes is done in Ukrainian language. That's obviously from the government. But they, to each other, they, when the minute they're in the class, when the kids communicate, they speak Russian. They're all Russian speaking. They go home, they speak Russian with their parents. So people here speak Russian. And then also they even, uh, obviously they can speak Russian, but in school they have Ukrainian language to teach them how to speak Ukrainian. They do Ukrainian literature, Ukrainian grammar. So they basically almost like a second language, but, you know, they, they teach them, they have official lessons on uh, uh, Ukrainian t lessons, but but the people here speak Russian. So this idea that, you, which you hear in, in from Russian propaganda, there's a sort of oppressed Russian-speaking minority population of or, of Ukraine, well, what you say is absolute nonsense. I mean, there, there isn't, there's no distinction at all. No, I mean, I, as I say again, the political side, what they say, I don't know, but I know on the ground where I teach, yeah. where I coach these kids, I teach every day, I'm director of a private Ukrainian school. Mm. I ask the kids, do you speak Russian? Because I don't know the difference. So I ask them, when you speak to each other, do you speak Russian or Ukrainian? They all, every kid in our schools, everyone I coach, they speak Russian to each other, to their parents. Uh, that is the language they speak. Um, right. They speak Russian because, you know, it's, it was part of the Soviet Union. Their grandparents were part of the Soviet Union. They speak Russian. Their grandparents spoke uh, Russian to their father, mothers. The, this generation now, they speak Russian. So they, they in the schools now, obviously, and universities, all, all education is in Ukrainian. But the minute they close that book or the teacher walks out, they speak Russian. And they even speak uh, Russian to their teachers. And they presumably speak Russian when they play cricket with each other. Yes, yes. Only yeah. Russian. Yeah. Yeah. Do you tell us, Kubis, what what's happened to your school at the moment? Well, well, obviously the school, the day it started, nobody went, but nobody expected it. Uh, quite interesting. The Ukrainians never expected it. It was total. It was not ever going to happen. When I, I went to buy food and I stocked up my apartment, I've got food, water for my dogs for a month here. I went to draw all my money out of the bank over the period of a week, go to the ATM every day, took as much cash as I could. I emptied my account. I changed my money, exchanged it into dollars. The Ukrainians were laughing at me. I, I couldn't tell them this. I said, what are you, are you completely insane? You're going to lose money on your dollars. You have to change it back to Grivna. They, the night before this happened, they warned us on the 16th, the, the USA intelligence said Ukraine is going to get bombed, that the attack's going to happen, the invasion that morning at three o'clock. That evening, that's on the 15th, that evening, the Ukrainians were out in Krishatik. I was out there. They were sitting at coffee shops, street cafes, normal life. They were all laughing. They said it's all American propaganda, warmongering. <laughs> It's, it's impossible. And later on, they got quite aggressive. If you said it could happen, they say you're pro-Russian. Pro it cannot happen. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not pro-anything, but I'm just being realistic. There's 190,000 troops on the, on the border. There's maybe a 1% chance, but they just, they, they're not just camping out there for mm -hmm. the weekend. These guys are serious soldiers. So I did everything. The Ukrainians were totally unprepared, the civilians. And then uh, that morning, you know, people were probably on their way to school. 
and uh, I heard the bombings. And luckily, it's also my free. It was Thursday. It's my day off school. I don't go to work anyway. It's my one free day. So I was at home. But then the school kids, I've had contact with the owner. It's a it's a group of schools, Usted. The owner said everyone, as far as he knows, everyone's okay. Uh, I've had a lot of parents texting me, kids uh, contacting me on social media. As far as I know, all the kids are okay, but obviously schools, everything is com you know, it's completely closed. A lot of the kids has left the country now with their parents. They quite, it's a private school, so they're quite well off. So uh, some of them left before it happened for in case they went to Dubai and that they're waiting out there to see what's happening. They could afford it. But uh, as far as I know, they all, everyone is good. And my cricketers, as far as I know, all, all safe, my Indian well, cricketers. Glad to, what about your cricketers? I mean, Kharkiv is what I, what I worried about there. I mean, what do you, how are your cricket, cricketers there? Well, yeah, um, I've been talking to, to the one guy, to our president, Hadeep Singh, and to one of the guys on our committee. Uh, I regular updates, they've been through hell. They've been stuck down in those... Uh, subway station for three days now. I see today I haven't spoken to them, but apparently today all hell is breaking loose in Kharkiv. If I look at the TV, the Russian soldiers are in the street. It's street fighting. So these poor guys must be terrified. I don't want to call Zach now because, you know, he's with his family. I, the last thing he needs is me on the phone. But uh, it must be absolutely terrible for these young students. This war, they're in the middle of a war, urban war. The Russian tanks in the streets, they're sitting down in the subway. I can't even imagine. And your, your cricket infrastructure there, that's, is that just surviving at the moment? Well, at the moment, obviously, everything's come to a standstill. But up to the day before the bombing, we've got a fantastic, if you look at our website, uh, ukrainecreatefederation.org, we've got a fantastic website, daily updated. We've got summer tournaments, like 400 to 500 senior players playing. Every week, June, July, August, in the summer, we have tournaments. We've hosted Malta. We've hosted some Hungary international sites. Uh, we've got three beautiful cricket ovals. The, the main stadium is in Kharkiv. We've got one in Kiev city center and one just outside Kiev uh, in a place called Kakarlik. Beautiful cricket oval there. So incredibly, senior cricket is incredibly well organized. And so your, your cricket oval in, uh, in Kharkiv is now a battlefield, is it? That's the problem. It's our new ground. We are very proud of it. We only got it before last season. It was the first season of tournaments there. It's our headquarters, beautiful ground. Um, uh, we've put quite a bit of money into it as well, long-term lease. And I'm afraid, yeah, the way what I see in Kharkiv, there's a very, very, very strong possibility that that oval is gone it's if i look at the bombings that's been going on there i can't see a big cricket oval surviving that so i'm afraid that could be kharkiv gone sadly yes it, look, it could be a very it could be a very easy target um i want to go back to the children again Gervis. what what ages were the were the children at your school what age uh, well, actually my school but i've also spread the program now into all 10 Aster schools i've got uh Ukrainian sport teachers, physical education teachers, about three in three big other schools that I've coached that I showed the basics of mini cricket. We donated equipment to those schools, mini cricket, two sets to each school given by Mr. Shambatia. We've got eight crates now stuck in Lithuania on a truck from Lord Stavnes <laughs> uh, through old Neil Radford. That's a mate of mine. He is a member. They donated eight boxes full of equipment to Ukrainian cricket. 
that's sitting on a truck now on the way from, from London to, to um, Kiev. It's stuck now in Lithuania, in Lithuania. Hopefully after this, we'll get that equipment back. But uh, yeah, so the cricket, uh, uh, very well organized. Um, I'm focusing a lot on girls cricket. Ukrainian girls are phenomenal athletes. They ahead of the boys at a younger age. Uh, we've got all ages, six to 17, oh, uh, all school yeah. age playing softball cricket. Right. Going back to your very dangerous situation, what are your neighbours saying to you at the moment? Well, I've, I've completely deserted, basically, my building. My neighbours has all left. Um, when they started, a lot of people with cars, they, they, I mean, quite a nice block. It's quite a new block. People here has got money. Uh, we, we've got a very big complex here. There's about eight buildings in a complex, Gloria Park. Uh, people here got in their cars. When they started, most of them went to Poland or to relatives uh, in the countryside or in small villages. So, And now what happens, um, all my neighbors, on my floor, I'm the only one. There's about 10, 11 apartments here. It's only me and my dogs. Uh, at night, now that they go into the shelters, they won't allow my four dogs. They said I can take two, not four. I'll never leave my dogs. So at night, I'm the only person in this complex. It's quite scary. Uh, I'm sitting in my apartment. I've made a little bunker in my uh, in my bathroom so you've got a mattress food water all stuff we we sleep there at night and if something happens i just if the bombing starts i run in there i've blockaded all my windows with mattresses it's like something out of our movie but it's real so i'm the only one at night in this whole complex because i, I can't leave without you know, i can't i'm staying with my dogs so it's only us in the complex you said at the beginning some people have um, acquired arms have you, have you acquired any arms yourself Oh, no, no. I, I think that, that sorry, but there I feel very strongly about that. I think that is very irresponsible. I, I was in the military for three years. I was a PT. I, in South Africa, in my time, we had to do national service mm -hmm. two years. Yeah. Uh, I signed up. I played a lot of cricket there. So I re represented the defense uh, cricket team. We had some fantastic players. Uh, after my time, Brian McMillan played for the defense teams, all Fani de Villiers and those guys. So uh, I, I, I was a PTI in the Marines, Marine Corps, and I, we did all the rifle stuff. So I know about a little bit about military. To put machine guns mm -hmm. into the hands of a civilian that plays a violin, he could be a ballet dancer, he could be a chef, mm -hmm. and now he's got to go out in the street and face the a professional, highly trained Russian soldier with a you know, with armor, with a gun. I mean, this is suicide. It's insane. Thousands of, I mean, all the, they can arm a thousand civilians and between them, they, if they're lucky, they'll shoot one Russian soldier and they're all going to get absolutely destroyed. So I think this is very irresponsible. I cannot agree with that. I'm very open about that. I know yeah. a little bit about that. These guys don't know how to hold a gun. Now they're going out shooting at Russians. So that is, I wouldn't touch a gun. It would be crazy. It's suicide. You, 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 you're going to get killed. So, I mean, if the Russians, you know, occupied your building, your deserted apart from you, you'd, you'd, um, you'd simply become, you'd become their prisoner. I mean, you'd have to be. Well, right? yeah, my situation is probably different being a South African. Mm -hmm. I've got my South African passport. My uncle was ambassador in Moscow for five years. Oh. At the I went there quite often to visit him at his embassy residency. Mm -hmm. Uh, so um, I think, you know, I'm neutral in this. I, I'll show my passport. I should be okay. Yeah. I know some of my colleagues in other schools as native speakers, American and British, most of them are from America and Britain. They can't get out now. The one guy was on TV last night, CNN. Uh, they don't allow any men 
between 20 and 60 to leave Ukraine at the border post. He showed his British passport, him and his friends, they were told they cannot leave. So they stuck now on the border, they can't cross the border. Uh, so I think for the a lot of these guys that's still stuck here, American and British guys, it's if when if the Russians take power, they it's going to make things very difficult for them because they are now seen as a, a huge enemy of Russia. Mm -hmm. So I can't say it's going to happen, but I, uh, I I I think they're in a very very dangerous situation. You know, looking at what what's probably going to happen here, that's not a good situation for them to be in. Who's not allowing them to cross the frontier? The the, the Ukrainian authorities. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, you know, they've got the rule now in Ukraine, mm -hmm. no, not one man between the age of 20 and 60 are allowed to leave. Only the women and kids can go through. They stop the men at the uh, border. Uh, they're giving all men between 20 and 60 gets armed and they have oh. to go and fight. So uh, these guys obviously being foreigners and the Ukrainian oh. side, they're British. And he was on TV last night. Richard Gens is his name. Uh, I actually met him once at, at one of the, camps that we had he's an English native speaker and they wouldn't allow him and his friends he said other native speakers mostly British they wouldn't allow them to go through the border so I'm sure the British embassy and that will probably step in but as we're sitting here now they stuck at the border they can't get out if you look out of your window now what do you see uh it's actually quite quite eerie um it's unbelievable it's weird there's just been a huge explosion as you said that uh I, I see. Are you safe in that room? Do you want to get out of it? No, no, it's a distance away, but it was a big one. Uh, yeah, funny as you told me to look out the window. Um, they, um, it's just absolutely eerie. It's a Sunday afternoon. There's not one person on the streets. I'm in a very, very built-up suburban area. Yeah, um, um, the, the street outside my house on a Sunday, it's a lot of apartments, buildings, old Soviet Union-style apartment buildings, and it's it's buzzing here people on a sunday they're up and down cars are coming it's like a ghost town you don't hear a sound there's no cars around you just hear birds if i close my eyes and i stand on my balcony i, I may as well be out in the forest somewhere you only hear the sound of birds it's here it's like it's unbelievable it's a ghost town you don't hear a sound you don't see anything but this morning there's been a lot of these blasts i've had counted at least eight of this is the closest one to my apartment be careful. I mean, the, the yeah. windows will be blown blow in on you. Yeah. you, 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 you no, no, it, it's yeah. not that close. I mean, these things make a hell of a noise. Um, uh, I've had quite a lot of this now. That first morning, it was. I took some videos. I posted it on in Instagram. They showed it on BBC. Uh, the whole sky was lit up on the opposite side of Kiev mm -hmm. from me, and uh, it was like something out of our movie. They make a huge noise. So this was quite a distance still. Uh, I think I'm perfectly okay where I'm sitting here, I hope. I feel comfortable. Oh, I know some listeners want to know this, but how, how are your dogs coping? Uh, it's actually quite funny. I play, they they with me all the time. I play, uh, I've got one of these little Bluetooth speakers. So when the last night they were shooting machine guns outside my window here, it was for about 15 minutes. It's these saboteurs that were fighting in the street here with the sab I just I've got a video of that as well, the machine gun fire going off right under in my street on the balcony so they were terrified so when i'm in the bathroom with them i put on some music uh, i love hauser he plays the cello so i play very loud music for them and sort of relaxing music and they can't hear anything so that's sort of my way to keep them calm what sort of dogs are they by the uh, way? just a bit of a mix um probably they're all small uh they probably 
uh, there's a lot of Yorkie in them. Uh, there's four of them, a little white one. Four Yorkies. Yeah, are they not yeah. Yorkies? Yorkshire Terriers. They mix yeah. 50% Yorkshire Terriers. Uh, how do you exercise them in this? I mean, you're stuck in your flat. How do no, you exercise no, At the them? moment, they run around here. It's quite a small studio, but they there's a bed on the one side and then about four meters to the couch. So they chase each other nonstop when they feel like playing. they on the bed and they chase in the, on the couch. They go through to the bathroom, kitchen. They, they run around this area. They're chasing each other, sort of play fighting. So and I can't stick my nose. I'm even too scared to go in my corridor because you don't know. You could be in the corridor and the explosion hits the building. So I just stay in my apartment. I'm very alert. I put the CV sound loud. So if anything happens, I can hear. And I'm right next to my bathroom. I've got everything there, Mike. So I just run in there. And you've got a, you've laid in a month's supplies, I think. I I've got probably close to a month. You can see from here, if I can do this, you can see my windows are all, I put cushions and mattresses. So I'm probably, yeah, and I've got water and stuff for a month. I've got my money. I've got dog food for two months. So <laughs> I think I'm pretty much set up. You know, the only if you get hit by a direct missile, heaven forbid, it doesn't matter how many mattresses you've got. That That's basically nothing you can do. But if, you know, apart from that, I've taken every possible precaution. I'm as prepared as one can be because I knew from the beginning I would never leave without my dog. So I prepared myself very well mm -hmm. for this. So, Cobus, explain to us, I mean, obviously you're in a very dangerous and lonely situation now, but when you came, what was it that made you fall in love? What was it about the city of Kiev and the and the country of Ukraine, which made you fall in love with it? It's unique. I've, it's like nothing I've ever seen. Even Moscow is totally different. It's a modern, more modern city with old parts. Kiev is it's this unbelievably old city from Soviet Union times, the buildings, the churches, there's so many parks, cobblestone roads everywhere, old, old apartment buildings. It, it's, got a, it's got a unique feel. Uh, I've never seen anything like that. There are little coffee shops, people sitting, street cafes, and also the Ukrainian people. They're amazing people. Um, the culture here, the food, they eat borscht. They've got the traditional food. They've got the traditional uh, dress. Often you see people walking in their vashivanka. It's a traditional Ukrainian uh, dress. You see them walking on a weekday going to work with their Ukrainian traditional shirt. It's, there's an energy in Kiev that I've never experienced anywhere else. And whatever happens, I'm staying. I'm not leaving Ukraine. I, I'm, if it's a new regime, I'm staying here. It's my home now. Uh, it's just an amazing city. Uh, it's hard to explain. But I think when you stay in Kiev, some of my friends just came here. They've been back five, six times now. Once you go to Kiev, you, you just keep coming back. Wow. That's a very powerful, moving conclusion, Kobus. We only hope that you stay safe in this terrible situation. We hope that all the cricketers, perhaps especially the young ones, manage to stay safe in Ukraine. We hope that Ukraine cricket eventually comes to better and more peaceful times. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute privilege to be your guest, Richard and Peter. Very interesting questions. Beautiful way to interview me, put me at ease. You know, I'm quite stressed at the moment. You guys really felt made me feel relaxed. Thank you so, so much for, for this opportunity. And that who knows, maybe one day when everything's good and we get our associate membership, we can have another interview to congratulate Ukrainian Cricket Federation. Well, we hope we can. We hope we'd even come and play you. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, sir. conditions allow. In the meantime, um, we'll be keeping you and we'll be keeping all Ukrainians in our thoughts and in our prayers. I must be honest with you. The 
yeah, no, the reality is it's in the next couple of hours, things will change completely. They say they, they, they're invading Ukraine, uh, Kiev, they've got the tanks surrounding us, they're going to move in. So in the next couple of hours, me sitting here will feel surreal. It's going to be unreal because this place is going to be an absolute, you know, it's going to be a, a, like from hell. Uh, these Russian soldiers fighting here, coming into Kiev. You see what's happening in Kharkiv. This is going to be worse. We've got 3 million people. So in the next couple of hours, things could, will be very different from what we've got now. That's the reality. 